0: All who gather here, by grace draw near, and bless your name. Amen.
1: Thank you, thank you. Well, go ahead, open your Bibles to uh, Revelation chapter 3. Father, we come before you, and we thank you for who you are, and for sending your son. We thank you that you raised him from the dead on the third day. We celebrate the resurrection, his leadership, his love for us, his plan for the nations. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to come and touch us even now. Release living understanding and inspire our hearts in a new way, we ask you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning I have a four-page handout, and I'm only going to look at a few points in it. It's uh, more of a, of a road map that uh, I want you to be able to look at or have it, if you want it, to look at at your own time later on this week or next week. But the point of the resurrection, actually, is so that God's people would enter into the conversation and relationship with Him forever and forever, The Bible makes it clear that God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit have enjoyed this deeply satisfying relationship with one another from eternity past. And the point of creating the human race and of salvation was that humans could enter into that family conversation and those family dynamics that are shared by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Sometimes we think of salvation as rescuing us from hell, and I really appreciate that. I I love that point. But the point of salvation is not mostly to rescue us from darkness, which it does, but it's to bring us into the family dynamics of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is how glorious what Jesus has accomplished is. And so here on Easter Sunday, what a good time to talk about the fruit of the resurrection. And so we're going to look at John chapter 13 to 17, or we're going to talk about it. We're not going to look at so many passages, but I want to talk about why these five chapters are so significant in the body of Christ, I believe, in this hour. John 13 to 17 is called by theologians the Upper Room Discourse, because Jesus is in the Upper Room at the Last Supper, the night before he dies, and in the Upper Room, he gives this teaching. And so it's called the Upper Room Discourse. Some uh, uh, commentaries call it the Farewell Message, or Jesus' Farewell Discourse, It's things like that. But I'm going to use the term the Upper Room Discourse. It's a very uh, popular term in commentaries, et cetera. Well, we've been talking for the last 6 weeks on Sunday morning, on Wednesday on the on the uh web stream with, you know, about 4 or 5 6,000 people are engaged in that on Wednesday. I I really appreciate what David Isaac and the others are doing there. And on Friday nights as well for 6 weeks on Revelation 3 understanding the implications of getting rescued and liberated from the Laodicean spirit of compromise. I mean, that's a lot of time. I've been pastoring 45 years, and I've never spent six weeks or heard of anyone that spends six weeks on the Laodicean church. But having said that, I believe it's a very significant word of the Lord to the whole church body of of Christ worldwide. And we have not nearly exhausted All the implications of what Jesus said to the Laodicean church. But let's just look at just a snapshot of it, and then we're going to move on and talk about how to practically respond as we have covered even in the last six weeks in various ways. But verse 16, he tells him, this is abbreviated version here, you're lukewarm. And then verse 18, he goes, here's what I want you to do. I want you to buy gold from me, spiritual gold. Okay, Jesus is talking to the Laodicean church. Was well, he's actually giving it to John the apostle, and John brings it to the church. He goes, I want you to be very zealous and very intentional about repenting from the Laodicean spiritual dullness and lethargy and compromise. I want you to be diligent to repent of it, to recognize it, And to break your agreement with it and to take real active steps to move away from that. Then he gives a promise. He goes, I'm knocking at the door of your heart. I'm not going to force my way in. You have to open the door of your heart to me. But if you do, I'll come in and I'll dine with you. I will feed you spiritual food that will exhilarate your life. It will... It will not only exhilarate, it will liberate you. It will satisfy you. It will do something in you that nothing else can do. When I feed you at my table, spiritual food. So he gives several promises in this passage, but I'm only going to comment on two. He says, I'll give you gold, and I'll give you spiritual food. Spiritual gold and spiritual food. He says several other things as well, but we've looked at that for the last six weeks. I believe the spiritual gold and the spiritual food at the highest level is captured in five chapters of the book of John. John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. That's not the only place it's captured, but that is the most concentrated, detailed place in the Bible where we can receive that spiritual gold. It's those truths And those promises that Jesus gave the disciples at the Last Supper on the final night before he went to the cross. This is the spiritual gold, entering into these truths and these promises. This is dining with him, him feeding us. But it required them to respond not one day, not one Sunday, not one weekend, but to be diligent and zealous, verse 19, to really lean into this and be actively participating with me. But I'm so confident in this hour that the Lord is going to rescue us. He's going to help even us, even you. Now, most people believe God's going to help the guy sitting next to them. It's, they don't think they're going to get helped. But I want to say even you. He specializes in helping people like us, weak and broken people that can't liberate ourselves. We can't set our hearts on fire. We can't make it work. He goes, yeah, that's the kind of people I come after. But I'm knocking, and I'll give you gold, and I will feed you the best spiritual food that will liberate, exhilarate, satisfy your heart like nothing else can, but you do need to respond to me. But I'm confident it's going to happen, not just to us. I believe this is the word of the Lord, one of the things the Lord is saying to the whole body of Christ globally. Around Asia, Africa, Europe, Latin America, all around the world, the Spirit is telling us, church, I want to come and rescue you from this. Different people will define the gold in a different way, but I am confident that the gold we're after, and I'm gonna break down that some practical ways to go after this, is found in those five chapters of John 13 to 17. That is the meal he wants to feed us. Paragraph B, on the notes here, he says, buy gold. Now, it's interesting that he calls them poor. He goes, you're poor and miserable, <clears throat> but it's an oxymoron. He tells a poor, miserable people to buy gold. How do poor people buy gold? Well, Isaiah gives us insight. In Isaiah 55, right here on the teaching notes, he says, come and buy milk and wine. That's the same thing. A deep relationship with the Lord. It's just a a different metaphor, a different word picture. But here's the interesting thing he goes, buy it without money. And the principle is true in Revelation 3, buy gold without money, because Jesus is undoubtedly referencing this promise from Isaiah, that he spoke to Isaiah. Buy it, but without money. How do you buy milk or wine, spiritually speaking, or gold with no money? And he tells us, by listening attentively to the Word of God, and I'm going to add then what Jesus adds, and by talking to God about what you're listening to. Here's my point. It is so simple in terms of understanding it. If you will listen well and talk, listen and talk, that is how you buy gold. Well, there's 10 other things. That's just a hypothetical number that are involved. But if you listen to the word, tentatively, pay attention, and talk to the Lord from those passages. Lord, what do you mean by this? Yes, oh, help me understand that. You get in the conversation. If you listen and talk, that's how you buy gold. The reason I'm saying this, because some folks are saying, okay, I'm repenting from this spirit of lethargy, this compromise. I'm repenting, but what am I trying to get a hold of? Gold and sitting at the table and being fed spiritually food by Jesus. What's that mean? Take these five chapters, John 13 to 17, listen to them and talk to God about them and other dominoes will go down. You'll be in the right position where you're You'll be inspired with some understanding. You'll be newly motivated in different ways. It's progressive. It's step-by-step. It's little-by-little. But you end up with gold and this spiritual food. It's not enough to listen. You have to talk, too. The Lord is beckoning his people to join the conversation. Now, this is a strange idea to some people. But the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have this supremely delightful conversation, and they want us to enter into the conversation with them. The Trinitarian conversation, that's a strange phrase. Join into the fellowship and the conversation of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's it's an odd phrase, and maybe you've never heard such a phrase, but I believe in the Next 10, 20 years, it's going to be a very common idea because I believe the Spirit is speaking this to the body of Christ. I don't mean just today or this week, but in and this year, next year, next year, this hour of history, we're going to look back in 10 and 20 years and see the Lord was emphasizing this reality. Enter into the conversation with me. Don't just listen, listen and talk. Don't just talk, talk after you listen. Listen to the written word of God. See what it says and get into the conversation with him. And you'll have spiritual gold and spiritual food. Well, paragraph C, and again, we're not going to cover so much of this handout here, but if, uh, a couple points here. Paragraph C, I'm taking the phrase Jesus says, I will dine with you. I will feast with you. Now, undoubtedly, in at least my opinion, John the Apostle, This is 60 years plus after the resurrection. All the other apostles have been martyred. John's the only one still alive. He's in his 90s. Most commentators would agree with that. Jesus appears to him on the island of Patmos. The Mediterranean Sea. He's on this island as a prisoner. The Lord appears to him and he goes, give this message to these seven churches and one of them is to the church of Laodicea which is modern-day Turkey. It's in, it's in the region of modern-day Turkey today, that city. He goes, John, go tell them I want to dine with them. I'm just, I'm, I'm just confident John was remembering the last time before the cross that Jesus dined with him and the, and the apostles. It was in the upper room, the Last Supper. I can imagine Jesus, John, pausing and go, yeah, John 13 when you washed our feet and taught us about humility, but we had that amazing meal and we broke bread and our first communion together and the Last Supper. Yeah, Jesus fed them, provided for them a physical meal in John 13, but then John 14, 15, 16, and 17, the next four chapters, he talked to them and gave them a spiritual meal. And I'm imagining John goes, I know what the meal is. I don't know the physical part, but I know what the spiritual meal you're gonna give the Laodiceans and all through church history. Who knew anyone that would open the eyes, I mean, open the door of their heart? Paragraph D. This is uh, exciting for me to share paragraph D. About a month ago, March 3rd, I had an open vision. Now, I've been walking with the Lord 50 years. It's my 50-year anniversary. I got saved in 1971, so it's kind of fun. I've been walking with the Lord. I've had two open visions in 50 years. And my idea, my definition of an open vision, I've only had two, not a vision of the mind. I agree with, I believe in that. Those are sometimes can, you can, you know, hard to figure some of that out. But when I say open vision, I mean a movie screen on the wall. I had an open vision in November 2008. I've talked about it before, about the tanks, et cetera. I don't want to go into that now. And this one, so I've had two in 50 years. So I'm on track to have another one when I'm 100 years old, so I'm I'm ready to go. I'm on track for that. I mean, you don't really have most people, you don't have one of these, or you you have one or two. You know, that one guy has a few more, but I was blown away by it. I was in my office, been in the prayer room. It's day three of this fast that so many of us are on here and many across the world are on it. And uh, I was just praying. I, I had the lights dim. I still had them on, but just dim. And I was talking to the Lord about Revelation 3. I'm saying, Lord, I want to open the door of my heart in a greater way. I mean, I know I've already opened it, but I want more. And I want for our beloved spiritual family, you guys, our children, our grandchildren, our siblings. I want us to have grace to open the door more. Help us. And the whole body of Christ too. But I was locked into praying for us in that moment. And then suddenly, I mean my eyes are open, a door appears on the wall. That's really odd. Because it takes you a moment or two to like, that looks like a door on the wall, you know. You don't know what's happening. And like the other uh, open vision I had, it took me a moment or two to go, I go, I rub my eyes, I go, it seems like I'm having a vision. And you don't know for a moment what's going on. Because I don't have very many of these, you know. And this door opened, this door's on the wall, this beautiful door, and it opens towards me. I'm sitting on my couch, I'm looking, and I'm looking inside of this room, and this room is filled with brilliant golden light. Now, the sad thing, I w- would wanted the light to come on me, it didn't. Just the door opened and I'm gazing into this room filled with golden light. And I, my arms shoot up and I'm in, like I'm almost frozen, I shoot up and I cry out, Jesus, 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 the power of God touches my body. It's actually a little uh, unsettling. It's, I'm a, a little bit scary. I don't know if that's the right word, but I'm, I'm like that. I'm, it's not like, oh, this is so sweet. It was, it was more unsettling than it was sweet. I don't even know how to make sense of all that, but, and I'm staring at it, and the Lord makes it really clear to me, You open the door of your heart, Revelation 3.20. I will open the door to my glory, Revelation 4.1. Now, if you're looking at Revelation in your Bible, you'll notice there's four verses in a row. The last two verses of chapter 3 and the first two verses of chapter 4. Just remove that chapter break out of the way and you'll see a continuity. The last two verses of Revelation 3, open the door of your heart, verse 20, verse 21, sit on a throne. The next verse, there's an open door to the glory of God, the throne of God, and he's sitting on his throne. So there's an open door and a throne. Then the next verse is an open door and a throne. The first two are about believers. The next two are about the Lord. And the Lord is saying, you open the door. You lean into the grace of God. And I'm going to open a door. And I'm going to rescue my church by the glory of God. And I was so encouraged. I am absolutely confident he is going to rescue us. I mean us, folks like us. Our children, our teenagers, our 20 somethings, our elderly, our siblings, our spouse, our friends. He's gonna rescue us, but it's more than that because I was seeing this vision, not just as a shepherd here in this family, this is the family I'm committed to in a real personal, ongoing way, but as a shepherd, even seeing what the Lord's gonna do in the body of Christ far outside of my scope and my reach. He was saying to me in it, I'm not just gonna rescue you and your people, I'm gonna do this globally. I'm gonna open a door, the Revelation 4:1 door of glory as you open the Revelation 3:20 door of your heart. Remember, chapter three ends with a open door of our heart and set on the throne, the next two verses, an open door to the throne of God and him on his throne. Those four verses go together. I was so encouraged. Paragraph E, I had a word many years ago that the Lord was going, 38 years ago, that the Lord would change the understanding and expression of Christianity in the earth in one generation. And that's one of the most dramatic times I've had with the Lord. I've shared that story many times. I'm not going to share it again. Here's the point I want to make. For 38 years that I've shared that encounter that I had in Cairo, Egypt with the fear of the Lord. People ask, how do you think he's gonna change the expression of Christianity? And always, I think, and they think, we talk about how the external way we operate together is gonna change. Our meetings will be different. Structures will be different. Things will be, power of God will be greater. I mostly think of the external way that things are going to be different in expression. And the Lord's made it clear, he goes, The change of the expression of Christianity is going to be more internal than external. It's the way you talk with me. It's the conversation you engage in. It will change the way you think, the way you talk, the way you relate to me and to others. Then the external uh, expressions will dramatically change as well. I'm convinced of that. But they will flow out of the internal expression changing. And I would never really pressed into it as an internal change of expression of Christianity. It's entering into this Trinitarian conversation. Again, strange phrase. Trinitarian conversation. What? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit talking with one another and in beckoning us to enter into the conversation with them, but not only even as individuals, but as corporate family. I don't mean like 10 of us together. We're all talking. I don't know how that would work, but my point is it's not one man of God or one prophet or one woman. It's collective number of people moving into this. And then in the overflow, they relate to each other in a very different way. Paragraph F. Okay, there we are. Here's the main point of what I'm sharing this morning. The main point. If you get this point, it was successful. Not the whole layout of the four chapter, the four pages, which is a kind of a roadmap anyway. It's not to even understand it all or get it all today or tomorrow. It's just to have it There's a reference point, these four pages. Here's my point right here. To alert this spiritual family to the significance of these five chapters. Now, everybody knows John 13 to 17 is like really amazing. It's been called by theologians the holy of holies of God's teaching. It's the deepest, greatest teaching by the greatest teacher ever. Everybody knows that. But when I surveyed church history, here's my guess. This is a guess. I have no way of knowing it, but here's my guess. That less than 1% of the body of Christ in history has engaged with these five chapters in a sustained way. I'm guessing less than 1% of the body of Christ in all of history. And one of my ways is by reading the literature of the best teachers on it. We haven't, in history, we haven't gone very deep in these five chapters And I don't think that's a problem where the Lord's going. How dare you? The greatest teaching of the greatest teacher, and two thousand years of church history. Less than one percent of the body of Christ has leaned into it in a sustained way. I don't think He's going. How dare you? He's thinking. Did the I'm imagining the Holy Spirit saying, Did the greatest teacher give the greatest teaching for it to be dismissed and overlooked? No. There's going to be a generation and the billions so harvest. And it's going to capture the body of Christ globally. There'll be hundreds of millions leaning into this. This will actually be the strength and the essence of the overcoming heart and the prepared bride. The Holy Spirit is about to breathe on these five chapters. I mean globally. He's calling people to this. And he's saying there will be more people in one generation entering into this than all of church history put together. And it will be one of the dominant conversations in the body of Christ as we approach the coming of the Lord. Now the reason I'm wanting to tell you that because I don't want five and 10 years to go by. Someone's here, you know, in 2020 and 21, they go, why didn't anybody say that back in 2020 and 21? Here it is, 2030. I want us alerted to the fact This is headline news coming from heaven, these five chapters. And I don't mean starting today or starting this month or starting with the vision I had. It's way bigger than that. Others are already tracking into it, tracking in in this thing. I believe the Lord's gonna open the meaning of these chapters. And you read it at a fast read, you're kinda like, okay, it's, it's kinda neat, I think. It's cool. I am in the Father, the Father's in me, the Father's in you, you're in me, I am you. Like, okay, cool. That sounds amazing. What's it mean? I don't know, you know, but it sounds neat. I believe the Lord's gonna unpack this and feed this to the body of Christ. This is gonna be the ultimate, in my opinion, by the power of God, way that he rescues the global church from the Laodicean spirit and raises up, I mean, hundreds of millions of overcomers as a prepared bride that are fearless in the face of persecution even martyrdom they stand bold in the in the face of in the face of temptation as the earth we're about to enter into a season of a pornified culture in the earth in the next 10 or 20 years far beyond right now of perversion demonic activity hatred and murder and there's going to be the most Shining bright spirits of hundreds of millions of believers. How is that going to happen in the condition we are in right now with the vast majority weighed down under this Laodicean spirit? Because the Lord is going to rescue us, He's going to feed us, He's going to open a door of glory as we open the doors of our heart. And we're not good at opening the doors, we take one step, He takes 10. He goes, You just start paying attention. Isaiah 55, I said that a few minutes ago. Listen attentively and talk to me about these, and you'll be surprised where you'll go. Listen and talk. Talk to me about these things. And that's what I'm wanting to equip our body in this next year or two or three so we can grow in this, because none of us are good at this. None of us are deep in this. Job said it, I mean, Job 26 says it the best. Verse 14, I don't have it on the notes. Job 26, 14, it's a great verse. It says this that we have seen only the mere edges of God's ways, only whispers. What's going to happen when God thunders loud and bold about his truth? God's about to thunder in the hearts of hundreds of millions in the end time church. Right now, we're at the edges, and the whisper moves us. Like, this is a whisper today. My insights on this are a whisper. The Lord says, hang on. I'm about to thunder from heaven by the Spirit, and I'm gonna touch hundreds of millions of you in these years, these couple decades ahead, or however long, I don't know, before the Lord returns. Nobody knows. Let's look at paragraph F. I wanna alert us to the significance of the upper room discourse. One of the primary themes, catch this in paragraph F, one of the primary themes of these five chapters, and we're gonna unpack this in the little way we know how, but we're gonna stay with this for some time, is to give God's people insight, here it is, Jesus is giving the 12, and therefore the body of Christ, insight into how the Father, Son, and Spirit relate Okay, that's nice. It's good that we know how you relate. Here's the reason. That's the model and the source of how the redeemed are going to relate to God and one another and be overcomers in the most hostile hour of human history. So Jesus wasn't saying, here's what I and the Father and the Spirit do, just so you could go, wow, you guys must be happy. I'm showing you the model and the source of what you will do with us, what we're inviting you into, and what you will share with one another. You'll walk in this together. When Jesus is talking about, I'm in the Father, the Father in me, then he goes on to say, I'm in you and you're in me, and the Father's in you, we're like, Jesus isn't making a case, a doctrinal presentation about his deity. That's important that they believed in his deity. He was making a presentation About what a man filled with the Holy Spirit how he relates to God. He was showing them what a human does under the anointing of the Spirit because that would be the model for them and it will explode in the generation the Lord returns critical for the end time church to walk as overcomers walking in the first commandment flowing into the second commandment. Well we are at the end of May, May 21st, we'll put it in the bulletin this week, we're going to start our Encounter God services back up, our Friday night, 7.30. We're going to have our 5 o'clock service is going to begin then that we focus on the staff that we had for the last couple of years that we quit in the COVID. We're going to get that going at 5. But at 7.30, the Encounter God service, for about, I don't want to predict, a year or two, i I'm just a chunk of time, I don't know how to, we're going to take these five chapters and week by week take two or three verses and unpack them the best we know. And we're going to camp there on Friday nights for about a year or two. Because if we stay in the conversation, we pay attention, Isaiah 55, pay it, listen attentively and talk it back to God and then say to one another, our insight will grow and grow and grow and our hearts will get changed little by little by little. Now, my point isn't to get everybody to go to the 7.30 service on Friday night. That's not the point. That's the miracle of technology. We're going to record it, have notes, and archive it. And people can be far away. People could be at home three months later. Somebody may say, May and June, and no, not possible. I am so loaded with stuff. But, hey, I'll start, tr- you know, tracking with this maybe in the summer sometime and I want our spiritual family, not everyone's going to do this, but I want our spiritual family leaning into this. And I'll be teaching a lot of those times, but I'm going to have our team, all of us together, about 10 of us, unpacking up. I'll probably do the majority, the 50%, and then share it with others, like he'll share a week, and then I'll share a week or two, then he'll share a week, and then I'll share a week or two. I've been really locked into this, and the Lord is in this vision from March 3rd The Lord is saying, I'm gonna help you unpack this. I'm saying that by faith, I'm the Lord. I'm a weak man that doesn't get stuff very clear. You know the words of Bob Jones, the Lord told me you'd be dull, I didn't think you'd be that dull. But anyway, let's not go there. But we're gonna unpack this, and through the summer, through the year, through next year maybe, I don't know, but I think once we get in this conversation, we may never ever want to get out of it. I, I don't know, I don't wanna get too far ahead of myself. But about 10 or 12, I don't know the number of our different teachers at IHOPU and this leaders, et cetera, we're going to be unpacking these things, these verses. And we're not going to take it in order. One week, maybe, you know, John 15, verse 2 and 3. The next week, John 17, verse 4 and 5. Then then the week after, John 13. We're just going to take what comes, and we're going to just camp there for a year or two, or, or however long, longer or shorter. I'm not trying to predict that. I'm just saying there's layers and layers and layers. The greatest teaching by the greatest teacher that less than 1% of the body of Christ has leaned into in a sustained way over 2,000 years. My point is, there's a big surprise. The Holy Spirit's going to unpack it to a generation. And I'm really wanting this, but I'm really thinking of our sons and daughters. If we can go somewhere in the next year or two. Think about where those that are 10 and 15 years old right now, they're going to be 20 and 25 in a minute. Think what they will walk in if we can move forward as a community in this. Other groups all around, the Lord is talking to this. You know, I sent out an email to a few friends, and I was so blessed. Like Francis Chan wrote me on Friday, and he goes, Mike, I am so encouraged that this is what God is telling you. It's what he told me like a month or two ago. I don't know when. Recently, we're doing this. Then a couple other leaders said, so are we. We didn't know you were or Francis was. We're doing it too. And I think 10 years from now, we're going to look back and find out there's thousands of groups in the next couple years that are going to get sparked by this This lightning rod, this light shining on these five chapters. So, most believers are going, I don't really know much about him. And I read him, of course, I like it. It's Jesus' greatest teaching. How could I not? I love Jesus. I got to like it. Even if I don't get it, I got to like it. I got good news the Holy Spirit's about to shine on this thing. And it will be true. It will be as it will, the same will be true from John 2 that Jesus saved the best wine for last. Well, let's go all the way to page, let's go to two, middle page two, E. I'm just gonna go a couple more minutes. Again, I gave you the notes here just to, because some of you said, okay, I wanna survey this a little bit. <laughs> now, the, so I've just put a little layout of a couple chapters here. The problem is, I'm still so new at it, although I've studied this over the years, but I, I'm not claiming any depth. My layout here in five years, I might look back and go, oh, well, I guess I missed that. I missed, oops, <laughs> that wasn't exactly what that, cha- that paragraph was about. So give me mercy in five years when we find out how not great this is, okay? But I just want you to see E and F and G. Just a little layout. That's a little road map. Let's go to top of page three. Paragraph A, this is purely for me, but I'm giving it to you if it helps you. I have identified four passages in the five chapters, four little clusters of verses, that if I can get my mind around those four passages, a little bit, just a little bit, it kind of gives me an orientation for the whole five chapters. And so this is, I don't know that this will help you, but this has helped me. Uh, I've locked into these a little bit. So I go, okay, I got an orientation for the five chapters, okay. And I'm ready to go on a year or two run where we just worship, unpack this. Sometimes I have ministry times, other times a small group discussion. How can we grow in this as a family? This must be the family conversation. And I tell you, 10 or 20 years from now, we'll look back and find out that the Lord was gracious to tip us off in, in this hour. Again, I'm thinking of the 10-year-olds and 15. They're going to be 20 and 30 in a minute. It's going to be normal to them. It's odd to us and kind of weird and like, what does that verse mean? And they'll just say, well, what do you mean? What does it mean? The 22-year-olds in 10 years, they'll, they will know this stuff so well. And that's what we want. Well, I'm going to end in just the next few minutes here with page three. I'm going to share, because this is, this is the, my number one passage of the five chapters. I call it my two favorite verses. And these have been my two favorite verses, I don't know how many years, but I remember when I was pastoring in St. Louis 40 years ago, I talked about these as my favorite verses. So I don't know when it started, but a long time ago. You don't need a favorite verse. You can have a hundred of them, actually. But I have two favorite verses, and I'll lend them to you or offer them to you to be yours. You don't have to take them. But I have 100 that are second place. I got 100 verses that are all number two. (laughs) And anyway, I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek. But these two verses I've talked to the Lord about over the years, and I've made them into my favorite prayer. I put the two verses together, and it's five like little lines that I've made it my favorite prayer. And I want to offer this prayer to you kind of as a launching point. You know, like we're in the canoe, we're just going to push out from shore a little bit. You know, it's a big ocean, we're in a little canoe. We're not ready to go deep yet. We're just, let's just get out, get 100 yards from the shore and see how we're doing. We're the mirror edges of his ways. The whisper, the Job 26, 14. But the day is coming, he's going to thunder this to the end time church. I can't imagine what those 10-year-olds are gonna be singing and saying in 15 years when they're in their 20s. They will be thundering the stuff in song and word and oh my goodness. Anyway, that's, we can think about that later. Let me give you the two verses. Paragraph B. John 15, nine and John 17, 26. And we'll say these verses over and over again, in this next year or two, or again, I don't know how long we're going to stay on this, but I just want to camp here. I don't want to move on. My heart is hungry, and I'm desperate to get out beyond the shallow waters that I'm in right now in these chapters. I'm desperate for it, and I think it's stirred up by the Lord thinking of the next generation. I really do. I'm going to take the 150 chapters on the end time through the lens of these five chapters. Those 150 chapters will look different through this lens, Jesus, bridegroom, king, and judge. Through these five chapters, those chapters in Isaiah and you know Micah and Malachi, they'll all look different through the lens of the upper room discourse. Well, let's look at John 15:9. Three phrases, very important phrases. Two of them are truths. And the third phrase is, I call it, the most important commandment in the Bible. And somebody could have a different opinion, that's okay. The two mountain phrases, they're mountains. There's a 1,000 points behind these two phrases. It's like Jesus threw them out there. He was saying, you you go live there for a little while. You'll see where it will take you. He starts off, as the Father loved me. He looks at him, he goes, in the way that God intensely loves God, you know, they're at the Last Supper, they go, in the way God loves God, intensely, fiercely, wow, that begs the question, how does God love God? Holy Spirit would whisper, ooh, glad you asked. I have much to tell you from the Bible. Gold nuggets all through the scripture. Much to tell you, but only if you're interested about how the father loves the son and the son loves the spirit and the spirit loves the father. All the combinations forever how God loves God. Mountain, that's a mountain. The second truth, in the same intensity, God loves his people. Jesus says, I love you in the intensity, my father loves me. Those are two gigantic statements Then he gives the third statement, which is a commandment. He goes, live in this, these two truths. It says abide, one translation says dwell, another translation says live. He's saying whatever you do, live in those two truths. Stay in the conversation with me on those two truths because if you do, many other things will flow out of that. All many dominoes will go down. Those are not the only two truths. Those are the two rock solid mountain truths the entire kingdom of God is based on. We touch those a little bit, all the other things come into focus. Jesus didn't say, This is all there is. He goes, You do those two a little bit, the other stuff will get clear. You'll have a motivation, you'll have a zeal that is supernatural. You'll overcome some of the despair and fears and addictions you touch those two things you'll love me you'll love people you'll love yourself in the grace of god you'll see life different if you touch those two many dominoes will go down boy that's you know the security of the kingdom of god forever the reason the kingdom of god is glorious secure pleasurable is because god loves god with all of his heart and God loves his people with all of his heart, those two mountain truths secure the kingdom of God forever in power and safety and pleasure. But he says, stay in it. Now this is where 2,000 years, I'm thinking, Lord, has church history stayed in this? Have we stayed in this conversation? Have we locked into this study? Have we focused on these two things? Or did we move on? And again, I don't feel negative. The Lord's saying, don't worry about yesterday. This is coming. There's gonna be hundreds of millions who abide in this. They live in it. It's not the only thing they do, but this will be the rock of their, the foundation of their walk with God. Let's go to the second verse. Then we're gonna pray them real brief. Then we'll end. Let's see, he prays this a few minutes later, maybe a half hour later, I don't know. It's in the same evening. The five chapters, it ends with 1726. This is the end. After this, it's over. Jesus is praying. He goes, Father, I have declared your name. But I'm going to keep declaring it. And they're thinking, wait, I thought you said you were going to die. He goes, I am going to die. But I'm going to declare the Father's name. How? By the Holy Spirit. But it's going to be me speaking through the Spirit. I'm going to tell the glory of my Father all through history, through my people. By the Holy Spirit, God is gonna tell Jesus, is gonna proclaim the Father's name. To proclaim his name is to reveal his glory. And then Jesus says, why am I gonna tell them about your glory? Look at this, look at verse 26. So that the love, Father, he's talking to the Father. The love you have for me Will it be supernaturally imparted in them. They will love me supernaturally in the power that you do. Excuse me? You and I are going to love Jesus like the Father loves Jesus? I mean, is this real? I mean, I would have been pretty happy loving Jesus like Paul the Apostle if I could ever grow to that. That would be pretty good. Jesus oh, no, 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 way beyond that, way beyond that. I'm going to have a people that love me in the power of my Father's love for me. But I'm going to unveil my glory. I'm going to open that door of glory. And when they see my Father in glory, their hearts will be changed and they will be empowered to love me. So look at paragraph C. There's five little fr- sentences that I pray. It's my favorite prayer. I pray this. 60 seconds, two, three minutes, sometimes 10 or 20 minutes, sometimes 60 seconds only. I mostly, not every time, that'd be exaggerated to say every time, but mostly I start my prayer times with one to three minutes on this prayer, and I'm offering it to you. You don't have to stay with it, but start with it until you make your own. When I start with these five sentences, these five little one-liner prayers, they branch out. I mean, they grow on their own. But I'm not going there right now. We'll do some of that in the summer and the fall on Friday nights, how these prayers can grow. So it's, I found this key. It's very, very simple. But if you get this key, you, you just got gold. If you get this key, say, Thank you, show me more. That's the key. When you read about God, instead of go, Wow talk to him. Thank you. Show me more. That opens like a valve of your heart that puts you in a place the Holy Spirit say, oh, you want to talk to me about that? Because, you know, normally you underline it, you go tell a friend that that's great. But I found if I will pause and actually talk to God about what God says to me, It just does something. It's so simple. I call it the the thank you, show me more prayer. I use it for scores of things. You know, when God says, I will forgive you. Thank you, show me more. Instead of just saying, good. So let's go to those two verses. Chapter 15, verse 9, the two big phrases. The way God loves God, the way that Jesus loves us. And then let's take it to the second verse, John 17, 26. Okay, I'm going to invite you to stand. If you want to, you can remain. Sometimes the guy says, stand. I go, I want to sit. I pray better sitting. Then they say, sit. And I go, I feel like standing. So, you know, I'm a human. That's just how it is. So do what you want to do. I'm going to have the worship team come up. I'm going to lead you for about three or four minutes in this prayer. These five things. I use the same five sentences. Again, they branch out all the time spontaneously, but I'll talk about that some other day. I'm going to pray it. I want you, and, and I pray in the spirit intermittently in between this. Like I'll say a phrase or two, pray the spirit for a moment or two. Again, you can do this 60 seconds. I do this many times when I drive from this building down to the prayer room. That three-minute, dr- four-minute drive, I'll pray this prayer half the time. Not the whole time. Not four whole minutes, maybe two minutes, but it just I just love to say this prayer. I like to pray this prayer I go to, when I'm falling asleep at night and when I first wake up in the morning, when I go to the GPR, the prayer room, oh, I get there, I, I open my Bible. I like to pray this prayer. I go, I don't feel nothing right now. And half the time, more than half the time, I don't feel anything, but the other half the time I do feel something and I never know when I'm going to. So we're gonna pray the first, God loves God. Now we're gonna pray the second, God loves us. Then I'm going to pray the third. Jesus is going to reveal the Father, and the Father is going to part his love. So, those, so you just don't say anything out loud, just quietly. I'd like you all to close your eyes so you're not looking around, just so no one's looking and you're distracted, just for a minute. And then you just run with this any way you want to. Father, thank you for the way you love Jesus and the Holy Spirit. It's just that simple. Show me more. And I pray in the Spirit for a moment, maybe three seconds, maybe two minutes. Let me say it again. Father, thank you for the way you love Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Because then you launch and you say, Holy Spirit, thank you for the way you love the Father. It just keeps going on and on, but I won't go there now. Let me pray it a different way, that very phrase. Holy Spirit. I got all this written down. Let me see what you see and feel what you feel about the love you share with the Father and the Son. Holy Spirit goes, oh, you want to know what I feel about the love I share with them and them with me? Really? That's the conversation you want? Yeah, And give me some Bible verses on it. Okay, if you're real and you stay with it, not for a day or a week, you just stay with this for a couple years and you'll be surprised what I'll tell you. He tells us in little phrases here and there. Not very rare do you get like nine paragraphs in a, in a moment. You get a phrase about every ten times you do this. A phrase. That's my story. The other nine times, I didn't know, how, you know I prayed it. I like it. But you never know. Let's go to the second phrase, the way Jesus loves us. Thank you, Jesus. It's the third prayer I pray. Well, it's one big prayer, but it's got five sentences. Thank you, Jesus, for the way you love your people, the way you love me and the way you love your people, like the Father loves you. Now, when you pray that, thank him for loving you and ask him to show you more, but don't stop there. And for your people, put your children's name in there one by one. Put your spouse, put your friends, put the people in the kingdom that really bother you, that mistreat you, put their name in there. Thank you that you love them like the Father loves you. Show me more. You will feel different about that guy or gal. Not the first day, but you stay with that for a month or two. You'll start going, you know, I don't like what you do to me, but I'm kind of liking you more than I thought I would. What's going on here? The end time church is going to literally prevail in the face of enemies with the love of God. Or you can pray that same thing the other way. Holy Spirit, let me see what you see. Feel what you feel about the love Jesus has for me. Holy Spirit, he goes, you want me to tell you about what I feel when I see Jesus love you? Okay, I will. If you really want to know, stay with that prayer. Abide in this prayer. Then let's pop over to 1726. Jesus promised to declare the Father. Well, he's going to do it through the Holy Spirit because he died and went to heaven. Holy Spirit, reveal the Father's glory to me here and impart the Father's love for Jesus in me. The Holy Spirit says, you want me to impart the way the Father loves Jesus into you? You want me to enough to ask me and to thank me for that? Okay. Inch by inch, little by little. Now these prayers, these little five sentences, they may feel dry for a week or a couple weeks or a couple months, but if you stay with them, I promise you they will not stay dry. So now... I kind of preached, prayed it. Now I'm going to really pray it. (laughs) Let's close our eyes now again. (laughs) Father, thank you. Thank you for the intense way you love Jesus. Show me more. Father, thank you for the intense way you love the Holy Spirit. Show me more. Holy Spirit. Let me see what you see about the love you share with the Father and the Son. I want to see what you see. I want to feel what you feel when you share love with them. Next phrase Thank you, Jesus, for the way you love me. Thank you, Jesus, for the way that you love Isaac and Morgan's five children. Show me more about how you love them. Show me more how you feel about the Baptist church down on the corner at Redbridge. Show me more. Holy Spirit, let me see what you see and feel what you feel about the way Jesus loves Isaac and Morgan's children. Let me feel what you feel, Holy Spirit, about the way Jesus loves them and about the Baptist church down the road. Holy Spirit, John 17, reveal the Father's name, the glory. Here I am. Reveal the Father's glory. Impart the Father's love for Jesus in me. You pray in the Spirit a little bit. You linger. You may do it two or three minutes. You may go five or ten minutes. You don't have to do it in an hour. You start most of your prayer times like this. I'm telling you. It may take a month or two before it feels natural. It will do something different. I want to encourage you, linger. It's not rapid-fire prayer. <laughs> Don't preach it to God. Get in a conversational tone. Dial down and talk to your Father. We're not commanding a devil out or shouting at the mountain to move or nothing like that. We're just saying, Father, just calm your spirit and just linger and go slow. Go slow. Pray in the Spirit a little bit. Don't get all just you'll feel more I did it the other way for some years and then I dialed down I felt more I went wow I wish somebody would have told me that on the front end so here we are Lord here we are Lord let's go ahead and worship team. I'm going to keep praying it, just as our leading worshiper we'll do this about four or five minutes three four minutes and then we'll dismiss
0: Enlarge my order. Increase, let me contain the depths of your love. Jesus. Father, thank you for the way you I love the Holy Spirit. see. Let me feel
1: what you feel about the love you share with the on this Easter Sunday. I just bless the people. Just go in peace. This is what the resurrection is about. Moving into this. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Have a blessed time with your families today, those that are you gathering.